Before we start, I have a quick word from this episode's sponsor. The University of Nevada, Las Vegas invites artists to apply for the Fall 2024 Masters of Fine Arts program in art. UNLV's three-year fully funded program with an emphasis on creative practice offers 24-hour access to private studios, graduate assistantship funding, and opportunities to engage with a dynamic roster of visiting artists, all within the unique context of Las Vegas. We welcome artists from diverse backgrounds who want to participate in the dialogues within contemporary art and culture through art making and exhibition to apply by February 1st, 2024. Visit unlv.edu art to learn more. Hey everyone, welcome to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Ziwon Chung. Hey everyone, wow, it has been a while since my last episode. Life kind of happened and I just needed another break to deal with some moving and life changes. But I'm back with 10 new episodes that will be released over the course of the coming year in conjunction with local Las Vegas artists. few things about my life since. I started doing some VR with Unreal and I was able to show it in this year's Ars Electronica. At the same time, I got to travel around a bit in Austria with my parents and check out a few cities. I've never been to Austria. That was kind of fun. And just two weeks ago, I traveled back to China for my PhD in Computational Media and Arts, which I talk about a bit with my guest today, Crystal Ramirez. Crystal is an interdisciplinary artist and educator from Las Vegas, Nevada. Her practice focuses on our relationship with places of reverence and devotion. She has a BFA in photography and studio art from the University of Las Vegas, Nevada, and she recently received her MFA in art practice from Stanford University. She has shown in museums and galleries throughout the United States, including the Nevada Museum of Art, Barrick Museum of Art, NMSU Art Museum, Soam Arts, and Gallery 400. Throughout our conversation, we discussed our interest in photography, the instability of language, and the possibility of working with our parents in art. As always, stay safe and relax, and I hope you enjoy this. And my day has been great. I I just moved back officially to Las Vegas a few days oh. ago. I I brought all my things back the weekend of graduation, or the week right after graduation, which was June like nineteenth through twentieth. But then I went yeah. back to the Bay Area to just finish up a few things that I kind of left you know, just left unfinished out there. And so it feels like uh, for sure, like now all my things are moved back. I'm back and it is 115 degrees out here. So I I read that. Yeah. I, it was supposed to be, I don't know. I haven't been outside much because what happens (laughs) is you kind of stay to, you kind of (laughs) tend to stay, you just look at the outside from the inside, but it's right now it's 111 and partly cloudy. So you know, yeah. but it was supposed to be 118 
which is insane, especially after being in the Bay Area for three years where the hottest it would get would be occasionally 90. And I think maybe a a few times it was 100. But, you know, I just, yeah, wow, it was shocking. But my day was great. I just getting used to that, getting used to being back home. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you yeah you move back to Las Vegas and you just finish your MFA at Stanford. Congratulations! Thank you. How are you feeling? I feel good. Um, yeah, it feels really great to finally be done. It was supposed to be a two year program, uh, and uh, because of COVID, they offered my cohort and the cohort ahead of us a third year. So we were oh, in a nice. three year program. Yes, it's very nice. It's fully funded. And uh, we all said, yeah, all 10 of us said yes, because we, you know, I mean, why wouldn't we say no? Right. And um, it did, I think towards the, uh, towards the end, we had such a, we have such a small cohort and they didn't bring on, they didn't bring anybody on our second year. So it was just the the same 10 of us for two years, which kind of that part seems, I mean, we were all very close and we became very good friends, but you know, when you, you Part of what's nice about, you know, being in the program or any MFA program is I'm interested to hear what you think is, you know, just your colleagues and hearing different opinions. And when it's such a tiny program, there's 10 of us who kind of after the 10th critique, we all know what each other's opinions (laughs) are about our work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I hear you on that. Yeah. I want to talk more about your grad school, but before we go into that, I want to hear first, like, you know, how did you get into arts and what was your path? Because I know you, you, you're entering your MFA 10 years or so after your BFA. So mm-hmm. I guess, how did that transition happen? And like, how did you revitalize, I guess, this interest to go back to school? So I... And, you're, and you're, you were born and raised in Las Vegas? No. So I was born in Texas. I was born in El Paso, Texas, but my family moved to Las Vegas when I was five. Uh, it was okay. during the construction is during the uh, construction boom of the 90s. And so Las Vegas was growing a lot at that time. And a lot of my family work in construction or ended up working in casinos in the service industry. And so a, like a big chunk of my dad's side of the family moved out here. And I, you know, I had, uh, their art was always a part of my life in the sense, you know, my dad, like, encouraged, my parents encouraged a lot of creativity, reading, especially. So they encouraged all my interests, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they particularly, you know, put me in art classes or encouraged any sort of, yeah. I don't know, like any visual art, I guess. And um, yeah. I, my school, my undergrad experience at UNLV, you part of your prerequisites is you need an art class. So that's mm. just that's that's just what happened. I took my prerequisite. What was the art class? For me, it was photography. It was photography one hundred and one. Okay. It was a darkroom class, and so Ooh, okay. I took it over. I took it over the summer, and a summer art class is pretty intense. It's for I can't remember. It was either five or eight weeks probably five out uh, five weeks and uh, five hours a day five days a week so so it just I was in the dark room for you know five to ten hours a day for five weeks you know for five days for five weeks it was just so incredible I just it was this uh, I was learning all the technical components of photography and you know dark room printing it felt it felt so 
hands-on. I just, I, I just loved it. Even beyond the creativity, it was just so fun to be able to, you know, so fun and it felt scientific and I got to, you know, it was like, photography it's just so interesting because it's not you know you're definitely pushing yourself conceptually but just all the technique that is required and the yeah. scientific knowledge yeah. that you need like the you know the math and everything to figure out yeah just all the processes so I just fell in love and I secretly started pursuing an art degree because I was still a <laughs> business major oh. um but yeah so um I ended up switching full-time and I graduated with BFA uh just a, it was just a general degree but my concentration was in photography and yeah I graduated in 2009 after the market crash so there was no work and especially there is no there is really no art market in Las Vegas there's a very supportive art community there's a lot of supportive yeah. people within the community but there was really nothing most of us could do so i just started bartending and you know even during the yeah even during the market crash let me tell you people are still drinking so (laughs) people are still gambling people are still drinking because they're depressed so i was making a lot of money and i Mm. just kind of got lost in that and i bartended for Mm. a few years was having a lot of fun traveling i was Mm. still you know making work here and there and I finally, I got a job in as a staff, staff photographer at a local magazine here in town. And um, yeah, I just started doing that for about three years. And I, I don't know, it was never a conscious decision. Like I'm, I'm not, I still felt like I was using my creativity every day. I just mm-hmm. really thought this was sort of the route I was going to take because we, I have a friend who became a museum professional, you know, I have yeah. another, I have a few friends who've done that. So I just figured, oh, okay, it's, you know, it's not ideal. I would have preferred to work, make art works and you know work from from that you know vantage point but I will it's okay I'll just be a commercial photographer and and then I did I you know before grad school I did do work for like Vox magazine and the Intercept Mm -hmm. the New York Times Washington Post so I was you know I was getting some good work but I ended up getting laid off Mm -hmm. from the magazine and then I really had to do okay I really have to ask myself if I was going to just pursue doing commercial photography full time, which is a big, you know, you're just like really, you're, you're a contractor. There's really no, for these big media companies, for these big magazines, there is no such thing as really like a staff writer, a staff photographer anymore. You're just, everybody. So it's all freelance. Yes. Mostly. I mean, I think I read just a few days ago or this week that the Nat Geo just finally let go. It's, last remaining staff writers. I mean, it's just like a disappearing. Yeah. It's like a disappearing Mm. industry, you know? So Mm. I said, okay, am I gonna just do this? I love it. But I said, you know what, this is the perfect time to just see if I can go back to art and pursue an MFA degree. You got in, you got into quite impressive one, (laughs) right? Uh, yeah. Well, not right away. Not right away. I actually applied a few times. It was, I oh, okay. did not get in. You know, you know, I wish someone had told me mm-hmm. that. I wish someone had told me that you can apply more than once. I felt all this pressure to apply mm-hmm. like and have to go the first time, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? When you have no idea what you're doing and you're in a city like Las Vegas, where there's a lot of people who they're, you know, obviously, yes, I have mentors and friends who are helping me through the process here, but I didn't know anybody who'd gone to Stanford. 
I didn't anybody, yeah. I didn't know anybody who'd gone to Carnegie Mellon. I just had no idea. So I had a few people who were helping me and I was just, I was like, well, I guess I'll apply. And if I don't get in, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to do. I don't know. So I just, so I just kept trying yeah. because I was, you know, but yeah, yeah. I think for me, it was not even somebody told me it was just my own ignorance, like kind of just, just having, you know, I'm like, which I'm grateful for because I just, I think if I would have, because I would have, if I would have put that kind of pressure on myself, I would have definitely just gone to the first school I was accepted yeah. in, which is, was a, still a great school, but I, I wouldn't have, I would have never said no. I had gotten into SAIC, the Art Institute yeah. of, the yeah, yeah. Art, uh, Institute of, of Chicago. Art, of Chicago, yes. Yeah. And gr- great school. I worked really hard for that application too, but I would have just gone there and I'm glad that I just kept trying for yeah, just yeah. other opportunities, you know? Yeah. Someone once told me like, you know, keep applying till you get into the school you want, you know, and eventually mm-hmm. you'll grow, you grow out of it or you'll, you'll get that, you know, cause it's so competitive and a lot of these <laughs> things that you get uh, rejected for out of your hands, right. There's such a small cohort, right. Like even Stanford's like 10 people, right. Like there's so many different reasons why you might not get chosen, you know? And so, and then each year, hopefully you get better through that goal. Right. Yeah. I, I just, I, I feel like, um, Fabi told me that a mutual friend of ours, Fabi told me that you, something similar happened to you with Fulbright that you had to apply a few times or did you get? Yeah. I applied three time? times. I applied three so, times. Okay. Yeah. How was that experience for you? You know, having to apply multiple times for that? Um, I think I learned, I guess it was good to do. Cause I learned like each time I could improve it. Um, mm-hmm. the second, third time was less work cause I had most of the foundation there, but it was like mm-hmm. each time I got a little further, like first time I did get past the first round and then didn't. Then second time I was like waitlisted and then third time I got it. But each time I, t- I, you know, I had to think like, okay, how can I improve this? Right. Like, you know, how can I make this just slightly better and fix it just a little bit, you know? And, um, I really got into like that writing process of like, you know, it's only three pages of writing, mm. which is not a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like, I kind of got hyper-focused into like the wording of it and how to save space, what is necessary, what's not necessary. And I don't think I ever got like, so um, into three pages of writing. <laughs> That's how I feel about my application to Stanford. It was two pages yeah, yeah. and I haven't ever obsessed as much as I did over these two pages, over all the application processes, not even my thesis, which was 15 pages, my our thesis paper. Yeah. I still just nothing compared to the obsession of these two pages to get into yeah. Stanford. And I, I yeah. yeah, it's in the same thing. Yeah. Every year I really relate to what you just said. Uh, the same thing. Every, I applied three times as well. And I got in mm. on the third time. And for me, I just, I think part of it also was just, I had been out of school for so long, you know, it'd been almost a decade. And so I just hadn't really written about my work in a long time. It's hard. A lot of work. Yeah. And so I, when I made that decision, I had to make a new body of work. Yeah. You know, which I didn't, the first time I applied, I applied with older work, which is a big no, no. And then the second time I applied with some new work you know, and then I redid my statement. Yeah. And then 
the third time, I just completely like threw out everything I'd done and just made an entirely new body of work, applied to a ton of shows, got a little a space here in Vegas to, you know, do a so like set up a solo show, documented yeah. it. You know, I just went all yeah. out and I'm like, okay, if I and and now it makes sense. Like that is really what you have to do if you're applying to schools. You need new work, you need strong work. Yeah. It needs to be cohesive. Yeah. But I mean I had no idea. I really I just didn't that first yeah. the first two times. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about this work that you completely started over with be, that you use as your application? Because mm-hmm. um, I was mm-hmm. on your website and a lot of it wasn't dated. So I was trying to figure out the timeline of things. But, you know, uh, I do know like your interest in text work, right? You know, and how you mm-hmm. kind of use text. I think you described it as your interest in this instability of language. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm curious, like, was, was this the kind of work that you were doing right before you applied to third round? Have you always been interested in text? So the work you saw on my website is all the new work I did to apply. Okay. So I I actually haven't updated my website since I got into the program. That's all right. <laughs> Which is, oh my goodness. So I think once I got in, I was like, whew, okay, cool. I got in. Let me just like, let me have fun now. And so that's- Which is how it should be. Actually what I'm working on. Yeah, I think the work that, so when I, an undergrad, I was just strictly photo. That's just where a lot of my passion laid at the time, or was at the time, and I still lies in that love. I love photography. It's my first love. And it's just, it's not just the the narratives you can tell with photography. It's not just, you know, figure, you know, the possibilities of all the, you know, for me, it was always like portraiture, figurative work, but I just love light and shadow and mm-hmm. architecture. And I think that came out in my 2D text work that I ended up doing, playing with that. But mm. when you mentioned the instability of language, I think it goes back to, and you know, I kind of wrestled with this for a long time, wrestled with the idea of, I guess, admitting to this myself is the way I could say it now. But I always felt like my barrier to a lot of things in life was language. Mm-hmm. You know, growing up, English being my second language. I mean, you wouldn't know that now because my English is so much better than my Spanish. But growing up, it was just, you know, it was always a, like a barrier. I just felt like my, I, I was, yeah. my English writing was never as strong. It's something I've always struggled with. And I just yeah. felt like language was this thing that always just, had so much power over me. And so then I, when I, when I started making work that was not directly, you know, photography, it was like playing around with language. And I think for me, it, you know, with text work, it can be so um, referential, Mm -hmm. right? You, the text says what it needs to say. And then that's it, you know, and that's okay, you know, because it could tell a story and it could speak to an experience But I think for me, I wanted it to do a little bit more than that. I liked the idea of language feeling confusing. I felt I liked Mm -hmm. the idea of the words just being abstracted. Yeah. Um, Whether it was physically, whether it was with paint or with light and shadow and a lot of just different materials. And so a lot of my experimentation was trying to do with the language what I felt it was doing to me, you know, and so a lot of that work, the one you saw on the website was about that. And then once you got into grad school, what changed? What, what, was, your, what was your exploration like? 
So I promised myself that I wasn't going to make any work with text. And lo and behold, oh. <laughs> every single piece I did, every single piece I did in terms of school had text in it. So uh-huh. I didn't really follow through with that. It just kind of always finds itself back in my work. But my goals for my personal goals for grad school were just really taking advantage of such a rich institution that I was at and not, I'm not talking like just financially, you know, wealthy. I'm just, I was just like, there's just so much knowledge there. There's just so much, so many resources, amazing facilities and, you know, photo. I'm so familiar with photography. I was already so familiar with all the experiments and the processes I had been doing before. Yeah, I wanted to take advantage of you know, the knowledge that the faculty had and the facilities. So I started to do sculptural explorations and material explorations. And I somehow, now that I'm looking back, I mean, I still always stayed within these ideas of light and shadow and architecture and abstraction and, you know, materiality, because even the tech stuff was exploring material. So I was still working within these themes, but it was definitely more of a exploration of even more like an even larger exploration of materials. But I think now after, you know, being done with the program, it still really all connects because even the text work that was 2D, I still worked with pretty large scale. Like my two, my 2D works were pretty large scale. The ones, some of them, as you know, you probably saw yeah, on yeah. the website and, yeah, yeah. And the like wall sculptures size. I made, yeah, wall size, um, almost like walls, literally, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It just felt like I was also creating these large walls, and they looked different depending on the time of day, what, how they were lit, and so that's sort of the you know a big theme that my sculptures took too is like creating you know these monumental sculptures, creating these sensorial experiences where you're kind of being overwhelmed by color and light like very architectural and that definitely I think was just all coming from being away from Las Vegas I never thought that Mm. I never be I never became so obsessed about talking about Las Vegas until I moved away (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I ever even I mean I don't know I lived here I grew up here I've lived here for my you know my entire life yeah yeah and then I leave Las Vegas and I'm like oh my gosh Palo Alto it's so what? <laughs> uh, white. <laughs> it's so boring. And I was like, oh, where's the yeah. color? Where's the, where's the architecture? I don't want to see more of this, you know. I know. Eurocentric, Romanesque, like classical, like architecture. So yeah, it started yeah. coming out in my work for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, I have family in Palo Alto and like, I think there's a lot of people there, but everyone's just hidden. Everyone's in their like own little tiny houses and it's Mm -hmm. this weird place I think I always I always think it's like weird because there's like one of the largest concentrations of money there but I feel like very little of that money is going into anything interesting culturally Mm -hmm. I'm like where's you know like where's where's the interesting like life arts you know it just it just I don't know the money's not going into it yeah it's Palo Alto was definitely a super interesting experience for me this my third year we our first year cohort uh, there was one person who's from east palo alto 
And it was really wonderful. It was very wonderful to have them in the program because, you know, they just came with an entirely different perspective of like, you know, they're from the South. They're from the South originally, but they, their husband, um, they're married. They have a family and their husband own this um, company. And just like, I don't know, just having this in a different point of view and also just knowing, finally getting to meet people that were from Palo Alto and not just either some sort of like Stanford adjacent or tech company adjacent where it's like a lot of people who, you know, sort of ended up in Palo Alto. And yeah, it is, it is such an interesting place, but our, our entire first year and a half, we were kind of just stuck on Stanford campus because of COVID. So that was also Mm -hmm. very strange. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people, you're like, people already not very like coming out and like, you see a lot of the same (sighs) people, but and during COVID, yeah. we were just we we couldn't even leave our apartments, so that was yeah even even stranger. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I saw some of the work. I mean, I think the one that uh, was seen most prominent was the kind of chapel you made out of these, mm-hmm. uh, you know, gypsum and cement, and you also had a neon neon there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious, like, how did that come about, and was that kind of kind of the direction that you kind of went during Stanford? Was that was that like a recent work or was that at the beginning of your time in Stanford? That piece I started making at the end of, I, I don't know, at some point during my second year and it was completed the summer before I started my third year. So that, I just, I never really thought that was the direction I was, my work was going to head in. But I, I think the, you know, this canopy I made this piece made out of plastic bags that are melted and painted us red and it created a sort of canopy and that kind of you know stood it like went over I don't know how to explain it like you know if you stood it kind of like created this like canopy over you and it was like pretty large uh-huh. and I just really enjoyed the experience of experimenting with materials and like pushing them to see what they could do, which seems like a pretty simple, you know, simple thing to do. But for me, it was so different than I'd ever done before. And so I, part of, you know, Stanford, they're so big on just always staying focused on a research-based practice. So it was like, okay, experimentation is fun and great. And I mean, maybe (laughs) it's not, it's probably not just a Stanford (laughs) thing, but it's like, okay, it's always like the why and the, the yeah. research and the reading like what what is your how are you relating to this what what have you been reading what like you know just like please like let's just like talk more about this and so for me just thinking of labor thinking of my parents labor uh that's also mm-hmm. something I was like very aware of while being there because of just how much money the concentration of money in Palo Alto and just thinking of my parents both being laborers in Las Vegas my dad a construction worker my mom was in the service industry, a bus person. So for both of them did this their entire, you know, their entire lives. Yeah. And thinking of just like the toll that takes on the body and um, seeing even in Palo Alto, you had all these, you have just all this money, all this tech money that's going to create solutions to problems that people have right so this yeah, is like yeah, the whole yeah. idea behind tech money is your yeah, optimization your always, yes optimizations at all times which is in some cases wonderful there has been i mean there's been many things great things that have come of that but you're also just displacing so many laborers it's just like yeah. it's just a thing that i see happening and 
And maybe that there's no direct correlation, but it's just something that was kind of like weighing on me and just seeing how my parents just had, you know, spent their entire lives, like essentially like breaking down their bodies to just provide for my brother and I, and I had ended up at somewhere like Stanford and a part of me just felt this desire to sort of make work that represented my parents. So I started, you know, like with gypsum specifically, um, my dad was a drywaller. He spent his entire life working with a drywall, which comes from gypsum and this just thinking of this material, right? I just started to obsessively research this material because it's like, okay, well, why are you so interested in this material? So then I start, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you start just becoming obsessed with everything that goes along with this thing. And did your dad help you out with his? No, he of, didn't. No, he didn't because I didn't want to ask him for help because okay. I still felt my dad's whole thing was like, you're at Stanford. Why are you at Stanford doing what I'm doing, working in the woodshop, doing what I'm doing? Like, what is your thinking? (laughs) Like, my dad is so confused. My dad's like, I worked hard, so you didn't have to. Yeah, yeah. Now you're at Stanford. Why are you doing this to yourself? Yeah, why aren't you? Why aren't you optimizing the world and making tons of money? Exactly. So my dad was very confused, but um, I will say, and so I created this chapel and I think my dad did, uh, I did gain some, a lot of respect from my dad. I think after he saw that both my parents, they were both very impressed that I'd somehow, because they heard me talking about it. But I think when they saw it, they were both just like sort of blown away that I had done this, you know, this chapel. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, and the chapel just on the, like that sort of on the most like just formal, like basic level was uh, just referencing, you know, the churches I'd grown up going to the, this grandiose city of Las Vegas, this like the spectacle of Las Vegas, just thinking of the spectacle of a church of like a cathedral. And so all these references, but the materiality, like the physicality was like me just trying to also bring my parents back into it, you know, bring my parents into an institution like this. And yeah. Yeah. And at the very, at my thesis show, I, I made smaller things, you know, I made, I started working with foam and I had these uh, foam breeze blocks that I created. It, it, it looked like a breeze block wall, but they were made out of foam. So it looked like a soft okay. breeze block wall. And I yeah. think that my dad, when he was at the MFA show, he's like, you should collaborate on something. And I was like, my this is you know i just that, felt that's like your this dream circle moment. <laughs> like, well yeah because i'm like this is what my work is about like how wonderful yeah, yeah. would this be yeah, yeah if i could then create something with my dad you know and it's yeah. not the first time that's happened i think i've seen it happen a lot you know in the art world but it just for me it would be so special yeah yeah that's really interesting that the way that it comes full circle like that. A quick question. I saw your yeah. photo um, before you, like your screen turned on. It looks like you're in some sort of chapel or in some sort of like, a, oh, it that, looks like. A, yeah, that was in Chicago. I forgot. There's one, one of the museums had a, I forgot, shoot, I forgot which museum it was. But um, yeah, there was like an installation and yeah, I took that picture a while ago. Oh, I love it. It's like, I really love the, the colors are coming from, from the window. It was like this, it was like this huge atrium. And then, so the atrium kind of split into different semi-insulations. And for this one, someone had created a wall that was like semi-translucent. And so I think the light uh-huh. 
was shining through it and then kind of reflecting on me. So I was on like one side of the wall and then there was like another wall in front of it where the light was shining through. I see. I see. That's so great. I, yeah, just that, that was just like something I just, and I liked it. That's it. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, you, you know, your background in photography and yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I, it's funny because I have a confession to make, which is that when I first started learning photography, I really hated it. I thought it was like, oh, really? I thought it was inferior to painting. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, that's a common uh, misconception. <laughs> I, but and then I left school yeah. and then I started, I, st- I started doing phot- photography. And now a lot of my work is like video, which is, you know, in, in that same uh, family of photography, right? With like kind of light mm-hmm. and capturing of images painting is just such a has such a hold on our entire know. you know on the the art world on our society on like everybody as like the one and true art form you know it's just even now as i've you know as i've now that i'm graduated and it's people still just love painters you know like galleries want painters galleries want to sell paintings and it's um yeah so i don't blame you for for i feel this you know for a long time i think i felt the same way i didn't even take a painting class in undergrad because i was a photo person and i somehow convinced my advisor it's probably better that way i don't know now i feel bad because i just never even took painting one but i convinced my advisor to like somehow let me painting one this was an undergrad this is an undergrad but yeah yeah well i mean i think it's if you really wanted to you can start this it's never too late to start painting but yeah um so now that you've graduated do you have any kind of ideas are too close to the time of graduation for you to think about what's going to happen next or no, not at all. Definitely not. I think now that I've graduated, I'm thinking of all the deadlines that there was a sort of, a, okay, so kind of backtrack a little bit. There's five of us in my cohort and we're all super busy. We have a million things going on. Um, you know, the last two quarters of grad school thesis show, thesis paper, just like trying to just do TA assignments and just all the yeah. tons of things that they they have us do at all times. And there's two kinds of people. There's the people that are just like not sleeping and still managing to, you know, to submit things for deadline, you know, just for work and deadlines and applications. And then there's those of us, me and a few of a few others in our, in the program who are like, I can't do this. This is like, I'm going to lose (laughs) my mind. I just cannot handle this. So I just said, okay, yeah, yeah. I'll wait until after I graduate because I mean, you know, there's always opportunities, uh, you know, applications happen every year. But now that I've graduated, I'm like, man, I should apply to a few things. And I mean, I did. But I saw, I saw you went I, to Soma, though. You did go to Soma. and I did. I did. But that was last summer. Mm. I mean, yes, I applied to things and got into things. But I, didn't, I don't have a ton of things lined up for right now, which is mm. a little bit frustrating. But, you know, it's given me some time to move back to Las Vegas. I, have, yeah. I just got my keys for my studio yesterday. So that's exciting. And New studio? New studio in Las Vegas. My first studio ever in Las Vegas. I just always, my studio is always my garage. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, which works here because, I mean, you've been out here in Las Vegas. There's houses have big garages lots of space so it's not like you know another reason why i like the west coast (laughs) and 
yeah, I, I've, I've been applying to some adjunct positions and I think I'm going to spend the next five months applying to teaching jobs, fellowships, grants, yeah, yeah. Group, group shows, you know, just doing the thing, just yeah, yeah, doing yeah. that, make, making work and hoping and just seeing what happens. I'm definitely, I definitely have a, a lot of work working on my website you know so <laughs> next time that somebody goes on it it's fully updated yeah so yeah it's just that's exactly so, no i mean a part of me is like oh wow i should have just had applied to a few other a few a few more things well my last quarter two quarters and then the other part of me is like oh it's okay i'm doing it now yeah it feels great it kind of feels it feels nice to be out of grad school it's you know it's just it feels good to be able to just focus on my my work and my applications and not also have like a million other things going on yeah i mean everything happens for a reason right and i think i feel like if you've gotten to where you are you must be doing something right in terms of following how mm -hmm. your body feels and how just instinctually your heart is telling you to kind of do things so you know, I think you know it best. So I think in that sense, I've always, you know, I try not to get too down on myself and like things I should have done and, and stuff like that. But yeah. No, I'm, I, I agree with you. I think um, Stanford brings out in myself and a lot of people would bring out this just like highly competitive person, yeah. you know, out of, it, it would bring this highly competitive, you know, part of me out because people are just doing, and I, I don't know if this is how you felt, at Carnegie Mellon, or if this is, you know, kind of like who you are in general, I just, uh, I'm curious, because I kind of, you know, I tend to just go with the flow, I'm fine with applying to things, I know you're not going to get everything, I don't really get that hurt about a rejection letter, it's just part of it. But I mean, people are just were going at 200% at that school. Yeah. And so you kind of get you kind of get caught up in that, you know, and I mean, I certainly did. So I think being back here, now I'm finally being like, okay, it's fine. But when I was there, it was just like, if you're not working every minute of the day and night, it's just it's not enough. So that's been interesting, yeah. interesting to see how you know, in Palo Alto and, you know, Silicon Valley and that school in particular, just like how, just like different states of being and just different uh, ways of functioning for people. Yeah. I, for me, it was, I felt it was kind of laid back. I know the programs changed a lot since I left. We got like a new head of school and a lot of people kind of retired and new, new teachers came. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what's it like now, but I always felt like you kind of made it how you wanted to you kind of worked as hard as you wanted to there was sort of mm -hmm. relaxation to that at least that was how I experienced it maybe I'm sure other people experienced it differently yeah I guess yeah I don't know maybe you're right maybe people were experiencing it that way but definitely not how I was experiencing it for sure yeah and so were are your I'm just curious like so your parents saw your works and you said when you were your BFA you kind of secretly did an art thing was it because you were worried your parents worried about you pursuing art like you said they, they supported you as a kid well yeah I made up this uh, you know this narrative in my head that they wouldn't support me pursuing art and then as soon as I told them that I decided to pursue an art degree at UNLV they didn't really say much they just said okay <laughs> I mean I don't think they were too happy about it because they <laughs> only admitted to me recently 
that, uh-huh. you know, in the past three years when I got into Stanford, that they were relieved yeah. that I had figured it out because they were just You worried. got into Stanford. Uh, yeah, because I was like, okay, you got it to Stanford. Okay, Whew, we can breathe yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. But which, you know, it's like in my, my parents, I can only speak for my parents, but just my, you know, they're both immigrants and, you know, definitely aren't too familiar with just all the different things that you could do with an art degree. It's not like, you know, they're just thinking, you know, your traditional routes to success or what a lot of, you know, immigrant parents, you know, want from their kids or, you know, you hear a lot of these stories, right. That it's like, Oh, doctor, attorney, or, you know, just lawyer. Exactly. And so I think for them, they were just concerned. They just didn't, even with, our friend, mutual friend, Fabi, like he, you know, him and I have been living together for um, over a decade and they still don't really understand how Fabi is sustaining his life with work. (laughs) They're just like, so what's Fabi doing? They're always, you know, they really love him. So they always ask about him all the time. You know, like, so he just makes, he just makes art. And I'm like, Yeah. yeah. And they're like, and he just, like he just <laughs> pays all his bills and saves money. And I was like, yeah. And he, they're like, okay. So I think it's been really nice for them too. I think they, they feel yeah. very proud of us. So I had made up this narrative that they weren't going to support, you know, and, mm. uh, or that they wouldn't be happy with it. And I think a part of them, like I said already was, it's not that they didn't support it. They were just afraid, you know, they're just yeah. afraid of yeah. the unknown and, it just being an artist in itself is already so precarious and it can go in so many different directions, you know, like you just really never know. But I think they were relieved. They were a bit relieved now that I just seem to have a more in their eyes, a more like traditional successful path, you know? Yeah. 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 They're like, you can teach, you can be a professor now. Okay. (laughs) Do you want to be a professor? Um, I will say that I, I definitely, I love, teaching I enjoyed Stanford is a very teaching focused program you TA every quarter that you're there and when you're not TAing you teach so we I had three opportunities oh, wow. okay. to teach. yes so it's very focused on teaching and I love it I would have absolutely no issue with teaching full-time and being an artist I I only hesitate because it's you know I'm sure as you know it's just such a saturated market of MFA's looking for teaching jobs. So yeah, yeah, I yeah. don't want to tell myself that that's my only option. If it happens, I would be more yeah. than happy to, to take that opportunity. I will not say no to it. I, I love working with young people. I just, I feel like I learn so much from them and I, that's probably such a cliche thing to say, but they just are so incredible. Like working with all the uh, undergrads, even at UNLV, I taught some photo classes at UNLV before going to to Stanford and then teaching photo classes at Stanford. I was like, yeah, it's just so wonderful. I really, really enjoyed it. And yeah, hopefully, who knows, hopefully I'll get to do that one day and also make art and show places. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't know. Like you just, I don't know. How, how do you feel about this? Like you just really never know where your life is going to take you when it comes to art. It's like you, like you said this, it's, I think you said this earlier. It's you go where the work is, right? As an artist, yeah. kind of you, yeah. you, you. Yeah. There are many opportunities, but you just do have to kind of be willing to go where the work is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think yeah. So I came here because 
a, f- a full-time professor job kind of opened up here. And I think I was, um, I, I mean, every year that I was applying for the Fulbright, I was also applying for teaching jobs. And most of them were like, mm-hmm. most of them were like the sort of, um, you know, one year just graduated from MFA opportunities or like, you know, some person went on sabbatical. So they had like a year opening that just opened up. And so I applied every year. And I think by the time I was finishing up my Fulbright in Berlin, like after Berlin, I was like, I kind of need to find a job. And so I was like actively mm-hmm. applying everywhere. And I don't even remember applying to this job in China, to be honest. Like uh-huh. I was just, I was just, that's just how many that I was just sending out. And then, yeah, I got it. And so I, I, I taught here for three and a half years. And actually right now I'm pursuing a, a PhD one hour north of where I was teaching. So Wow. Oh my God. That is, okay. That is incredible because so... One thing that I'm also doing is very similar to what you, you know, you just mentioned is I'm going to try to apply to as many teaching jobs as possible. (laughs) But also I was considering, and I just got off the phone before meeting with you with a friend slash mentor of mine about applying to a Mm -hmm. PhD program. And yeah, I'm like, and I, you know, we were just discussing what I would have to do, you know, because it's, it's a lot of work uh, applying to both. Uh, teaching jobs and a a PhD program especially with you know I I don't have my writing sample now other than my thesis which you know could inspire the writing sample but I would have to start from scratch with that and yeah it's a lot to in the next five months to try to apply to full-time teaching positions in a PhD but you know I was like having this discussion with him of how practical it would be you know, or not even practically, but like how realistic would it be of me to want to pursue an art career and then also pursue a PhD? You know, it's like, I know there are artist scholars, but you know, what, what are the realities of, you know, the workload of a PhD or somebody be an, you know, a full-time, like in a a professor or an instructor and then an artist, like how, you know, what are the realities of balancing? Juggle it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. Um, you know, um, I feel like my philosophy is like, just apply to things and let things kind of happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure you know about this too, but I also like, like I have a friend, he's right now pursuing a PhD in Oxford for art. So, I mean, just so you know, oh. you want to Oxford, Oxford has a three year PhD is basically, I actually, when I was looking at it, I was like, Oh, this is, this sounds just like my MFA. Cause Carnegie Mellon is three years and for you at this point in Stanford is three years and I was like this is just like MFA part two except you uh-huh. have a PhD after um but like he you know he's shown at MoMA PS1 he's hit up like basically every single prestigious residency but he's still mm-hmm. trying to figure out a way to make his life sustainable right and so for him yeah. mm-hmm. the PhD was like he got it funded in Oxford so like he was able to find a way to just you know make some money while like you know improving his resume whatever but just because he's already shown at these places doesn't kind of guarantee success in terms of like making money I guess it also depends Mm -hmm. on your work as well right like if you want to make those paintings Mm -hmm. maybe it's a little easier but um but yeah so that's sort of how I viewed it and like I think the this new PhD program kind of combining art and technology opened up near me. So I was like, I'll just try it. I got the funding. And so I kind of see it as like 
another long-term residency. But there are like definitely I know like San Diego, I think, and or Santa Barbara, they have like you know real I say real PhDs in the sense that they're like five to seven years. I I didn't want a five and seven year kind of academic PhD. I was looking for like three four yeah. years. Uh, mm-hmm. but so it depends on what you're looking for. But yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I, when I was at SOMA, the art residency in Mexico, I met a few people, you know, because they have a rotating roster of artists who kind of come and visit and, you know, just yeah. do artist talks or studio visits. And a couple of them were, had PhDs and one of them was pursuing the PhD in, in San Diego, I believe it's UCSD. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But they said that the that they loved it, but it was definitely more of an art history PhD than a art yeah. practice PhD, which yeah, I yeah. think the program says. And so, yeah, I think for me, yeah, I I didn't even know that Oxford or other place there were options other than this sort of five, six, seven year academic. PhD, yeah. right? Where it's just like super yeah, yeah. heavy on, I don't know, like you're writing your dissertation that's like strictly on, you know, research. Yeah, I, just, yeah. I definitely be like, oh, yeah. it'd be nice to, yes, do that, but also still be able to sort of intertwine your practice somehow, you know? So yeah, yeah. I, I'm kind of, I really, I, I, I like that you said that your mentality is of just sort of apply to a lot of things and see what happens, which I think when you asked me if I want to teach, it's like, I had this long-winded answer. It's like, yes, I want to, but I, I yeah. have the same mentality where I just want to apply to a lot of things Yeah. and whatever happens, I feel like that's what was meant to be yeah. where I have a lot of colleagues and friends who are very hyper-focused on one thing and, or one geographic location of where they want to make yeah. art or where they want to live, you know, or I yeah. want to teach in this here. zip code, you know, and here, <laughs> and, and you know what, it's, it's happened for some of them, but I yeah. seen it not happen for a lot of people. And I'm just, you know, I am, I'm just like, I'm okay with having to uh, move. And like I said, at, you know, at the beginning of this, I was going to move to, to go to, you know, the East coast. And it's like, yeah, okay. I prefer the West coast, but whatever, that's an amazing opportunity. Amazing. Yeah school I would have, of course I would have gone you know it's like I'm not gonna say no to an incredible opportunity because of my geographic location yeah. or in the same with teaching you know if teaching works out amazing if a PhD ends up working out also incredible and you know I'll be the only thing I do know for sure is I wouldn't love to work in administration so I just <laughs> probably won't be applying to any sort of museum jobs that is the one thing <laughs> yeah they un- they underpay yes and also i just i don't know and i have many friends who work in museums so i definitely don't want to you know i don't want to be be negative or anything about it it's just not for me it's just not for me yeah <laughs> um I feel like I have so many questions for you, but then I don't even know if it's part of this interview or if it's me just like being so fast. You could ask. Fascinated, yeah, about this PhD program you're pursuing, your professorship, you know, journey in China and like how that's going. I just, as somebody who also is kind of open to many things, I'm curious how how you're liking teaching you know, outside of the U.S. and what your experience with that has been and just how your PhD experience has been. 
teaching has been great. It's different, uh, like uh, very different from the Western idea of art school. Like, I'm so I quit the job, but uh, when I was teaching, it was like forty students, which is mm. different than the typical seven to fifteen. I think in this idea of art school for U.S., mm-hmm. you know, everything worked out. Everything happened for a reason, and like I was happy that I, I was able to take the time to like learn Chinese. I mean, I'm still learning Chinese, but thinking about because I also deal with language as well in my work and writing things. So I thought it was a really great opportunity that I didn't think I would ever have. Right? Like I never thought I'd come back here, and mm-hmm. I definitely didn't have enough motivation to learn Chinese while in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So. It was great, and then the PhD has also been an eye-opening, just expanding out what I'm learning, and also learning about, I guess, this idea of like re- different types of research, right? Like I didn't really know too much about mm-hmm. it, like this idea of like practice-based research. But yeah, and then just there's different worlds, right? I didn't think about the PhD as a world, but like there are like PhD artists who kind of are on the circuit of like making. Works that I may not be that interested in, <laughs> but uh-huh. they can write about it and submit it to conferences, and like they're living this completely different world that I never really knew about.、Um, I think that's sort of one of the things that、um, I had to kind of realize is sort of like, you know, how much do I want my work to change while doing this PhD? You know, it can kind of influence me in a way that is very different than what I think of as arts, right? And kind of being aware of those differences. Mm. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I I don't even know that many artists with PhDs, to be honest. But I did meet a few while at Stanford who were who I met first as PhDs, you know, around the university.、Yeah. Who then I later learned were artists, and sometimes <laughs> like PhD and artists. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yes, and it it was interesting. Yeah, it was just like a different sort of. In my experience, a different type of work than I'd ever seen before. In some of these cases, you know, like just so well researched, so conceptual, so yeah. I I don't know. I don't even know what to say. Just like very interesting. Just like not any type of work that I'd even. I don't think I'd ever seen, especially because I didn't know that many artists with PhDs. And then I went to the College Arts Association conference in New York, CAA. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm、um, yeah, yeah. not sure if you if you've been, been to that. To that yeah. yeah, and also met some artists with PhDs. I'm just like, okay, I don't know. Part of me thinks that's exciting and great, but a part of me is afraid also of that. Creates like a wall, like with you and the the world that I'm trying so hard personally to hold on to. You know, like I still want my work to be accessible. I still want my work to, yeah, you know, to have so many different points of entry. Where if you want to have this, you know, conceptual philosophical conversation about the work, like let's go there. Like let's have fun with that. But also, if you just want to, like, if my parents want to enjoy the work, my parents, I, you know, they won't. They wouldn't be able to have like a philosophical, you know, conceptual conversation about it because you know that's just not the world they come from, and、yeah. that's okay too. Like, just enjoy it aesthetically, enjoy the material, enjoy how it makes you feel, and yeah, maybe that's me stereotyping what a you know <laughs> PhD artist, PhD. the type of work a PhD artist makes. But yeah, I don't know. I still, I'm still interested. Still doesn't doesn't scare me away. But you know, there are many many options. But yeah. 
That's really fascinating to me. I just am so, that's definitely one of the things I'm going to be pursuing, including on top of, you know, pursuing yeah. teaching job. So it's kind of exciting to hear other people that are pursuing that as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely on the more of the art side and I'm, I'm very skeptical. I mean, I'm still kind of skeptical about an art PhD, but like, I think the thing that I learned that kind of makes a PhD in art weird is there's a tension because the PhD... Mm-hmm. So like, all right, I think we can all admit that the MFA is sort of like a shit show. Like it, any, it can be anything. There's no, there's no real requirements. There's no standard, right? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we're, oh, absolutely. whereas like the PhD, it is tied to some, some standards. And I think like the actual PhDs in the, in the humanities, they, you know, they look at the art PhD as, as questionable. And I think the artists who are trying to start PhDs, there's a discussion of like, you know, should an art PhD be completely separate, like an MFA, or should it try to engage with this idea of a PhD, right? And then like, okay. I guess the idea of the PhD is like, ideally, whatever you're making should be viewable and comparable to other PhDs in terms of output and and, and, create, and creating something and having a sort of definitive output. And so... The question is like, if the art PhD has no relationship to other PhDs, then can it even be called a PhD, you know? Mm, yes, that is it right there. Because yes, I have heard that in at SOMA, I did hear okay. yeah. some of the people discussing this who were pursuing the art PhDs, right? Is I don't think that the other people you know, in this PhD world or this, you know, graduate student world always kind of would see or see what you're pursuing as, you know, equal to. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting at Stanford, I think the way they were able to feel some control over the the requirements or the guidelines or, you know, the program was that it was so focused on teaching. So it was just like very pedagogy focused. And so, yes, the yeah. art making, the art making components of it was sort of the, it would change depending on the faculty you were working with, yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah, it would yeah. change depending on who was leading your, you know, your seminar. But the guidelines to our teaching practice, our research paper, our, 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 sorry, our MFA, you know, thesis, thesis. written thesis. And and it was all had very strict sort of guidelines. So I feel like that was this way that they could circumvent like this very, you know, untraditional MFA, you know, how it works where like critique is very, can be very subjective. And even when you try not to be it, it still kind of ends up sometimes being subjective and uh, so that it was always interesting kind of living this especially when you would talk to other people at Stanford when you're talking about researching your work and I say this with quotes researching your work that yeah. the other people at Stanford be like what exactly are you researching though <laughs> yeah what what do you mean when you say researching? I had people ask me that several times. I'm like, well, I guess you're kind of right because I'm just reading. I'm just like reading things that that interest me about my work and learning. But I'm like, I don't. I guess I don't. I don't know. But well, yeah. the PhD would say that that's like tacit knowledge, right? Things that you can't definitively mm-hmm. place. But like you know, like someone someone practicing an instrument, like there's there's a certain knowledge that's gained that may not be outright visible right but they're definitely learning something right you reading and an artist painting something they're all different forms of knowledge yes 
see, I should have thought of that and said that to the said that to the guy who yeah. who, who asked me what I was researching. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's also. I mean, there's it. It's sort of that same tension we're talking about in terms of Palo Alto and sort of the different types of labor, right? There's like a hierarchy, like you know, mm-hmm. when you're in tech, you can quantize like how much money you're making, how much optimization you're making, which doesn't mean that other types of labor doesn't have that, but uh, just because it's not being quantized in the same way makes it seem like it's devalued, right? In the same way that I think a lot of art research and humanities research, there isn't like this quantifiable thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the AI might, might might be changing that, but but uh, but yeah, like you know, this idea that if it's if you know, just like or you know, you know, this idea of the subaltern, right? If it's not if the voice isn't heard or spoken, then it doesn't exist. Exactly. On that note, my one of my mentors, one of my friends, he just like recently had me. I was like recommending me reading all these readings on the subaltern too, which yeah, I haven't read a lot of them. But you saying you you yes, you saying. Uh, maybe I was like, oh yeah, my friend just recommended you a bunch of stuff on that. But you know, I think specific has like a really short essay on it. You don't have to read her entire mm-hmm. book. Um, well, just add it to the list. I have a long list too. I have a long list. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else? If not, you know, you can do a shout out for your any upcoming shows or maybe your Instagram where people can find you and reach out to you. Yeah, so I have one show coming up. It's where I had my What Have I Done to Deserve This piece, the chapel, the green mm-hmm. green chapel. Mm-hmm. So that show is mm-hmm. traveling. It was in New Mexico. It's traveling to Chicago nice. to um, to the gallery that is in the University of Chicago, Illinois, UIC. Okay. University of Illinois, Chicago. Yes. And then it's going to travel to the Barrick, the Barrick Museum in Las Vegas. Uh, So it will be in Chicago in January and at the Barrick in in Las Vegas. And I will be in both places and would love if people are listening from both those places to come out and visit. And you can find me on Instagram at Crystal Ramirez, but it's spelled K-R-Y-S-T-A-L-R-M-R-Z. And I used to be on Twitter. And I didn't delete it, but I just don't really go on there. I don't really go on anything. I deleted my Facebook. I don't have a Twitter. So it's mostly just Instagram. It's all good. It's, it's all good. Yes. And my website, crystalramirez.com, my first and last name, which will be updated very shortly. And please uh, go on there <laughs> or just email me also. I don't know if, uh, if uh, yeah, probably Instagram me first and then email me. All right. <laughs> cool. Thank you, Crystal. Yeah, it was so nice to meet you in, it almost feels like in person, even though it's a virtual space, I feel like I'm getting to see you. And yeah, it's like such a a pleasure to talk to you. I I do listen to your podcast and I enjoy it very much. And I thank you so much for creating this space. It's really wonderful. Yeah, I would hope, I mean, I do have plans to kind of come back to the States in the near future. So hopefully I would like to visit Favi and hopefully be able to meet up with you too. Yes. Yeah. Just let us know. We'll be here. Definitely. Or let me know. I'll be here. I don't know. Fabi travels all over the place. He's always I know. Favi, traveling uh, the world. <laughs> I know. I know. He's got a crazy, crazy schedule in life. <laughs> all right. Well, so, so nice to meet you. Thank you so much for everything. Yeah. Thank you so much for chatting. All right. All right. Thanks. Bye, Crystal. Bye-bye. Seeing Color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Ziyuan Chong. Original music by Alex Chow. 
You can find more information on the website www.seeingcolorpod.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Seeing Color Pod. If you enjoy this show and have the time, I'd appreciate it if you could go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and give Seeing Color a five-star review. This really helps others discover the show and gives greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now.